0: Weirdo, what's your superpower, and how will you use it to change the world? Welcome to today's issue of Season 2 of Just Us Weirdos, a weekly serialized fiction podcast about learning to be heroic, no matter how weird your power might be. I'm Charlie White, and I am so glad you're joining me here for the story today. Creative Director Gabe is on assignment on Phobos today so he's not able to join me for the intro. That means we're going to get right into the story. If you put your minds back to two episodes ago, you'll remember when the weirdos were going to the old abandoned drive-in movie theater to meet a new hero called Rainbow Chaser. But what the heroes did not know is that Dagny Work had been in contact with Mrs. Ponzone, the wannabe supervillain from the beginning of season one. Dagny has an idea that Mrs. Ponzone is the only person who can help them stop her mother, Mrs. Gwenifer Work. Too bad the other weirdos aren't in on this idea. Mrs. Ponzone attacked the team with her own group of super powered, endangered animals that we learned all about on last week's episode, Snacks on a Play. Today we're going to turn the camera to the two heroes who got away. Rainbow Chaser and Fish Out of Water. They're currently speeding along old abandoned broken parking lots in the strange metal-plated truck that Rainbow Chaser drives. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to warn older listeners that the episode begins with descriptions of primitive technology. Listening to these descriptions might make you want to describe things of your own childhood to your kids. And before you do that, I urge you to ask yourself, is this really interesting? While you do that, sit back, put a smile on your face, and think of something weird. Because it's time for issue 27 of Just Us Weirdos. The Teal Titan. I know it's summer vacation but I'm going to ask you to imagine your classroom. Once upon a time, that big white section of wall at the front of your classroom would have been a big black or maybe green section of wall. In those days, when the year began with a one and a nine, a projector was something that someone had to put film into, and the screen was a giant box of a television strapped onto a black cart with a machine called a VCR plugged into it, and no one knew how to use it, least of all the teacher. But let's turn our attention back to that black wall at the front of the classroom, the chalkboard. In the last decade of the 1990s, the venerable chalkboard began to be replaced by the whiteboard in most American classrooms. Many reasons were given for this. Some complained that using chalk produced dust, which was messy and bad to inhale. Others recognized that computers and projectors could display on a clean whiteboard without the need for a separate screen. And some teachers were excited about the educational opportunities for using several different colors on the board. Jules Jones' mom had chalkboards in her classroom, and she always told Jules that the real reason they were replaced had nothing to do with any of that. The real reason, she said, had to do with item number seven on the top ten list of the worst things a human being can do. You see, if a person's finger is slightly extended when they write on a chalkboard so that their fingertip drags across the board when they write, it produces this sound. Before today, Jules Jones had only heard his mom's horror stories about fingernails on chalkboards. And he did not believe her when she talked about how horrible it really was. But now, as Jules and Welsh speed across the old cracked parking lots in a weird truck covered with metal plates, Jules has a deep empathy for his mother. Jules feels like he is living in a house made of chalkboards, being scratched by the fingers of giants. It's almost bad enough to make Jules forget that he and Welsh are currently being chased by a giant, super-powered snot rhino. A glob of super-snot flies through the air and Welsh throws the car into a sharp left turn over a series of broken concrete barriers. The fingernail-scratching sound invades the core of Jules' soul, but they avoid getting stuck by the goo. Jules says through gritted teeth, Why do you have all these steel plates on this car, man? They sound like death, and they're slowing us down. Welsh straightens out the truck and checks a monitor inside that shows the camera view of the chasing rhino behind the truck. That's the other weird thing. This truck has no windows. Everything is a screen, with data being fed in through small cameras on the outside of the truck. Welsh says, first things first, this isn't a car. Its name is Stormrunner. But if you have to call it something else, call it a truck. My superpower is based on me finding rainbows after storms. So I built a truck that could go into any storm. Jules asks, and the metal? Welsh doesn't look away from the forward-facing monitor. Have you ever been in a tornado? Jules shakes his head. No man, that's intense. Welsh nods meaningfully then says, I'm guessing it is. I haven't been in one either. But I'll need these plates on the truck if I ever am. A sound of rumbling thunder somehow overcomes the hideous screeching, and Welsh makes a hard ride fishtailing over a patch of wildflowers. The rhino is actually a little faster than the storm runner, and has almost caught up. Jules says, We obviously can't outdrive that thing. We need a different plan. Welsh nods. Yeah, there's a storm that'll hit in about 15 minutes. If we can last that long, we've got a good chance. Jules shakes his head. How is a storm gonna help us? Welsh says, There's a 40% chance the storm makes a rainbow. If it does, and if I'm in the right place at the right time, I might find a member of the tribe. Jules does a little bit of math in his head, then laughs. <laughs> You mean a leprechaun? Welsh says. They hate that word. But, yes, I find one, and then I get to make a wish. Forty percent, maybe, Jules says. What happens if there isn't a rainbow? In response, Welsh pushes a button on the dashboard. A photograph of someone appears in the corner of his front-facing monitor. Without taking his eyes off the monitor, Welsh rotates a dial to the right and the image of the face on the screen rotates through, cycling through multiple other faces. Welsh keeps dialing until he gets to the face of Tony Tobegda, the girl that Jules met on the Immigrant Heritage Scholars trip last summer. Tony was in the same nuclear accident that gave Jules and Welsh their powers. Welsh taps a button, and the sound of a phone ringing comes over the speakers inside the Stormrunner. Like, hello? Tony says over the phone. It's Welsh. Duh. Ever heard of, like, colour ID? Tony says. Cut it out, Welsh says. We need the teal titan, now. You can practically hear Tony rolling her eyes over the phone. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm totally grounded right now. Is it serious? In the Storm Runner, Jules leans forward towards the microphone. Tony, it's Jules. We're being chased by a super-powered rhino right now. Like, chased by a rhino? Aren't those things, like, slow? They hear the sound of typing in the background, and then Tony says offhandedly, Wow, they can run, like, over 30 miles per hour. Yeah, Welsh says, and the Storm Runner needs a tune-up. I'm sending you coordinates. Welsh tells Jules how to use a tablet to send a GPS fix on their location. Because even when you're a superhero, it's not safe to use a device while driving. Sigh, Tony says. If my parents find out, I'm like totes dead. Be there in a minute. She ends the call, and Jules says, If she's going to be any help to us, she's got to get here fast. Otherwise we're... Welsh interrupts him by stabbing a finger at the screen in the rear-view monitor. There's a greenish dot in the sky behind the rhino. As Jules stares, it gets bigger. The rhino is getting closer. Welsh throws the storm runner into a left-leaning skid and says, get out of the car, uh, I mean truck. And before it even comes to a complete stop, he throws it in park, opens the door, and rolls out of the moving truck onto the grassy parking lot in the abandoned strip mall they've been driving through. Jules quickly dives out his door as well, just in time, as the rhino collides horn-first with the Storm Runner, pushing the heavy truck back three feet onto the pavement. Jules looks over at Welsh, who is looking up at the sky. Jules follows his friend's gaze. The green dot above them in the sky is getting bigger, and now Jules hears an ever louder, The dot is a person flying through the air with long limbs flopping around like a person trying to regain her balance after slipping. As it gets closer, Jules sees that it's Tony wearing an American flag tank top and ugly greenish-bluish shorts that don't quite match it. Jules thinks his dad would describe the color as teal. Tony is gripping a trash can lid that's about the same ugly color as her shorts. We've all seen those movies where our hero lands after flying or jumping. You know the one. The hero lands perfectly on one foot, one knee, and one fist, their head bowed as if summoning the strength to fight their foe. It happens so often that this pose has a name, the superhero landing. As Tony gets nearer limbs cartwheeling and grasping every which way she decidedly does not do a superhero landing. In fact she lands on her side sending her into a terrifying spin. Her head bounces off a rock knocking her to the left before she finally slams back first into the storm runner and the truck rocks almost as hard as it did when the rhino hit. Tony lands face up on the pavement Like, ouch, she says, getting to her feet. Despite seeming to have been thrown out of a plane, she's unscratched and looks more annoyed than hurt. The snot rhino puts its head down and charges at Tony. She rolls her eyes and puts her garbage can lid out in front of her like a shield. At the last moment, she leans into the rhino charge with the shield. The rhino slams into her. Jules winces and looks away. But Tony deflects the beast to the side and doesn't even give ground. Welsh points at her. There's the teal titan, he says with reverence in his voice. About 40 feet away, several old cars sit rusting in front of a former video rental store. Tony runs toward them passing a pickup truck and two sedans. She stops at an old station wagon, which is painted an ugly blue-green, very close to the color of her shorts and shield. As Jules watches, Tony grips the station wagon with two hands, and she lifts it right over her head. She flexes once, and then rips the bottom off of the station wagon. The rhino has turned its attention back to her, and lowers its head for a sneeze. As the superhumanly sticky snot rocket flies through the air, Tony tosses the bottom of the car, the blob, with one hand, blocking the snot rocket. Then she tosses the top of the car through the air as if it were a frisbee, and it lands on the rhino like a cage. She runs towards it and leaps on top of the broken car, pounding the corners with her fist. They drive down into the concrete like she was hammering nails. Like that should hold, she says to Jules and Welsh. Jules is already running towards Tony, saying, That was amazing, Tony says. Uh Uh-huh. Jules shakes his head. You're indestructible, and you have super strength. You won the superpower lottery. But... Why'd you run by three other cars before you ripped that one apart and made a cage out of it? Tony rolls her eyes. Duh, that's why I'm like the teal titan. My strength only works on ugly green things. Things that are basically painted the same color as that stupid sub we were on when I got the powers. As she finishes talking, a metal crunching sound that Jules has become all too familiar with punctuates her words. The rhino has gotten free. Like, move, Tony yells, but Jules isn't fast enough, and she rolls her eyes, then wraps an arm around him. Hold on tight, doofus, she says. Tony Tabegda, the teal titan, reaches her other hand behind her. She slouches her shoulders and sighs. Then she spanks herself right on her teal shorts. As her super strength kicks in, Tony and Jules sail up, up, up into the air and away from the charging rhino. Thank you for listening to Issue 27, dear listener. We have been getting so much email lately. Unfortunately, it's mostly for prescription medicine. We want to hear from you. And for you there sitting in the car or sitting at home right now, wondering if I'm talking to you, the answer is yes, you. I want you to ask your parents' permission to send an email to hero at justusweirdos.com. Otherwise, go on social media to Facebook or Twitter and send a message at justusweirdos. If you don't want to do either of these things, there's a form on our website at justusweirdos.com where you can get in touch with us. Tell us what you like about the story. Tell us what you'd like to see happen. Tell us about your best idea for a superhero or a supervillain. If you do, I promise you, we'll name you on the show. Tell us your first name and where you're from. If you want to get super fancy, you can ask your parents to record yourself saying something like this. Special thanks to Joe Carnwath who wrote, performed and produced our theme music, With Trumpet by James Carnwath. Check out Joe's music online at joecarnwath.com or find him on Spotify. Go ahead, write it down. Then have your parent record you saying it. You can be in the closing credits. Otherwise, you could say, "The song you're listening to right now is Cinderella, used by permission from Love Hustler, who you can also find on Spotify." I hope you know this last part by heart, and you can send me a recording of this too. Thanks for listening, and remember, be kind, be creative, and most of all, be weird. See you next week, weirdos.